I had been trying to imagine just how unpleasant it must have been to contract the Spanish flu. I know it was horrible, but I think cheese is horrible, and I suspect it was rather worse than cheese. I needed something to lead me in so that I could get a feel for just how much pain and suffering was involved. It was then that I remembered a Facebook post by a friend here in the village. She'd been struck down by COVID-19 and was describing the struggle involved in trying to draw breath. It felt so vivid and visceral and brought home to me just how terrifying and dangerous this is to all of us. We may think that we're fit and strong, but this disease hits so hard that even if you shake it off, it can still leave you damaged for a long time afterwards. Here's a small section from what she wrote. You have to take a breath between each word when speaking. The word yes feels too long to say, considering the amount of breath you have. You feel you have to choose between speaking and breathing. You feel you have moments, episodes, when even without speaking, you feel you can't breathe, and you're trying to take deeper breaths, but your lungs feel like they're already full and heavy. She also describes the advice she'd been given to lay down to try and take some of the pressure off her lungs to make it possible to draw breath. This helped me to get a glimpse of that feeling of sheer helplessness that one must feel when the enemy is inside of you and there's nothing you can do but look after yourself, keep breathing and try to stay alive. And this gave me a pointer toward the sort of description I was looking for to find a way in. The Spanish flu had some similarities to our current coronavirus pandemic in that it was also a respiratory illness. It had a wide variety of symptoms that would often start with body aches, headaches, muscle and joint pain. Then there would be an incredibly persistent hacking cough that was all the more frustrating as it brought nothing up. There would be sneezing that would cause hemorrhaging of the mucous membranes there would be vomiting diarrhea or sometimes constipation then fighting for breath it was at this stage that the infection was at its most dangerous this was where the body was so much more vulnerable to secondary infection this was when the bacterial infection of pneumonia could invade and pneumonia was what killed so many of the victims of spanish flu so that describes some of the symptoms but I wanted something more graphic, more vivid, more real somehow. I found this absolutely superb article in the US Government of Health Reports by Dr. Nancy K. Bristow. The article is entitled, It's as bad as anything can be, Patients, Identity and the Influenza Pandemic. Dr. Bristow begins by mentioning the 1939 Catherine Ann Porter short novel, Pale Horse, Pale Rider. This is a fictional story about a newspaper woman, Miranda, and a soldier, Adam, during the influenza epidemic of 1918. The pale horse of the title is, of course, the pale horse that is death, from the biblical description of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That sounds exactly what I want, so I purchase and download the book to read later. Nancy Bristow goes on to describe the symptoms of the flu as high fevers, head and body aches, prostration, edema in the lungs and belaboured breathing. This catalogue of horrors is, however, the easy bit. Someone struck down by the flu might suffer all of these things and then recover in about a week. They were left exhausted and very weak after the illness, but now in recovery. The unfortunate ones had it much worse. 
Delirium and unconsciousness would follow. The lungs filled and the skin turned purple. Blood would issue from the nose. When this began to happen, many would die in a day, but some would manage to hang on to life for as much as a week. As the title of the article says, as bad as anything can be. I then read Pale Horse, Pale Rider and can thoroughly recommend it. You get a real feeling of the times, the attitudes towards the war and the total unpreparedness for the ravages of this virus. It's also fascinating to hear the gossip about the influenza. People suggesting it started in Boston and was probably caused by Germans releasing the flu from a submarine there. It seems likely that such conversations were happening all over the world as people tried to make sense of this thing that made no sense at all. I had a quick look round to see what other conspiracy theories there were about the pandemic in 1918, and it seems there were many. The flu was blamed upon the Germans most of all, presumably not so much in Germany, but with the newspaper in Rio de Janeiro reporting that the pandemic had been purposefully spread around the world by German submarines, with innocent people falling victim to the Germans' treacherous bacteriological creation. It was also blamed upon the new wonder drug, aspirin, which was manufactured by the German company Bayer. This was unfortunate in that aspirin was one of the few things that could actually alleviate some of the symptoms of the flu. Anyway, back to Pale Horse, Pale Rider. It concerns Miranda, who is a newspaper reporter. The story begins showing her going about her business as if on an ordinary day, albeit during wartime. Her stereotypical editor, with half-chewed cigar in his mouth, does a bit of shouting. Someone comes by to complain about one of her reviews, and an irritating trap drops in to try and bully her into buying war bonds. Now, war bonds are another intriguing side issue. Maybe we'll take a closer look at them in a future episode. Anyway, Miranda ends the day and meets her lover, a soldier named Adam. There's a bit of foreshadowing, as she mentions that she's worried she might be coming down with a cold. She doesn't seem to have much of a sense of smell or taste. She mentions this airily without much concern, but the reader, knowing a little of the story, may already be feeling chills of apprehension. She passes reference to the mist clearing a little, although the air was sharp and clean in her mouth. It did not, she decide, make breathing any easier. They go to the theatre. And after the second act, the third is delayed for someone to salute the flag and urge everyone to invest in liberty bonds. He drones on about sacrifice, give till it hurts, the death of civilization, the Bosch, and on and on. My head aches, whispered Miranda. Oh, why won't he hush? They go to a restaurant, drink tea and dance, but all the time we are seeing Miranda's inner turmoil. We're left wondering whether it is the spectre of war and thinking that Adam will be going away to die on the Western Front. But later, it seems likely that this is probably the oncoming delirium of the flu. The infection is inside her, the body is trying to fight it, and all her chemical balances are disturbed. Her head and body are aching, but she is still trying to engage with the evening, and with Adam, but finds herself fading in and out. There is a weird time slip here. Miranda's thinking about a conversation at the table adjacent, and then she's waking up from a sleep and Adam is there saying, You didn't get my note. I left it under the door. I was called back suddenly to the camp for a lot of inoculations. They kept me longer than I expected. She tries to recall what happened. Oh, 
I do remember. There was a doctor here, Bill, that's her editor, sent him. It seems the doctor has been and left a prescription. He tried to get an ambulance and have her admitted, but there were no ambulances and no beds available at the hospital. Miranda's mind continues to flail about wildly with moments of lucidity where Adam is there or the landlady is there demanding that she be thrown out of the house as she has the plague. Adam tells Miranda that all the theatres, shops and restaurants are closed. The streets have been full of funerals all day and ambulances all night. He tries to give her tablets but she vomits them back. He also tries to feed her ice cream and orange juice but she's retching again soon after. She dreams crazy dreams. Adam seems to float in and out with medicine and words of comfort. Then the editor manages to bully someone at the hospital into taking Miranda in. She asks where Adam has gone and they say he's just popped out for some cigarettes. At the hospital there are still no beds so they stretch a sheet over a frame until the dying move on to make room. Miranda becomes convinced that the doctor is a German spy and repeatedly shouts obscenities at him. The hands of the nurse turn into tarantulas. Miranda is urged to close her eyes, but she dare not, for even worse horrors come then. The visions begin to change. They're still strange, but somehow they become more mellow and less terrifying. Eventually, she's dragged back to consciousness by a raucous ringing of bells, horns and whistles, and the news that the armistice has been signed and that war is over. She looks out of the window but the sun seems a faded travesty of what once it was. Colour is washed out of the world, and everything looks drab and grey. She describes a world where the light seems filmed over with cobwebs, all the bright surfaces corroded, the sharp planes melted and formless, all objects and beings meaningless are dead and withered things that believe themselves alive. Two work friends come to visit and bring her up to speed with everything that has been happening. They have a stack of letters for her. She puts them down and just hasn't the will to open them. But a few days later, the nurse helps her and they go through the letters. Many of them are full of joy that she's alive and congratulating her. But one is from someone at the camp where Adam was stationed. And that letter tells her that Adam had died of the flu at the camp hospital. Adam, she says, what do you think I came back for, to be deceived like this? This story is actually quite autobiographical. There are many similarities between the author's life and the events of this story. The author of this story is Catherine Ann Porter, and she wrote of her encounter with the flu, saying, It simply divided my life, cut across it like that, so that everything before that was just getting ready. And after that, I was in some strange way altered, really. It took me a long time to go out and live in the world again. So, I'm really glad I found that, and thank you to Dr. Nancy K. Bristow for funneling me in that direction. We did veer away from her article rather more than I intended, which is a shame, as it's a good, solid piece of writing that brings together a great deal of useful information. I recommend you look it up. There are also some splendid lectures from Nancy Bristow on YouTube and a book that I will admit I haven't read yet called American Pandemic, The Lost World of the 1918 Influenza Epidemic. I now feel that I have the beginnings of some kind of grasp upon the pain, the horror and the strangeness of this disease 
And yes, although I hate cheese, I would rather eat the stuff every day for the rest of my life than have to live through anything as diabolical as an attack of Spanish flu.